Hi, this is Benedict. Welcome back to Maastricht Law Talk. We will talk about international law today. More after the intro. Every year in Ontario, thousands of people are seriously injured in car or slip and fall accidents. Recovery can be overwhelming and for many, a financial nightmare. Sir, drop your weapon, put your hands on your head and get down on the ground. You are going to be placed under arrest. We can help them get the financial compensation they deserve. That preventing a breach of the peace is a legitimate state interest. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. I'm here today with Marcel Bruce. He is professor of public international law at University of Groningen. Marcel, hello. Hello. You are the academic director here of two LLMs and one LLB, so two masters and one bachelor program. Can you tell us a little bit more about these programs? Yes, we have here uh, English language teaching in the Dutch universities usually started with master programs and that uh, usually in the 1990s it, it started. And so here in Groningen, I've only joined in 2005 here in Groningen as a professor. Mm -hmm. But before that, these master programs were already set. And amongst them, there was the uh, master program on international law. And later on, we developed a, 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 a second parallel program which focused on human rights law. So that's our two basic courses in, in, in international law, which we teach here at the master level. Mm -hmm. And in 2005, when I was appointed here as professor, there was also some interest, and I was very uh, interested in that, to develop an English language bachelor program. And that's, okay. of course, a bit weird because we are <laughs> teaching law in this faculty, and law usually is connected to a national legal system, yeah. uh. and in our case, the Dutch legal system. So without teaching a bachelor program about law in English in the Netherlands, what then do you teach? What do you want that the students learn from you? And, and so we had the, the idea, we, want, we know that there's a group of uh, uh, prospective students who want to be active in the international context. They want to be busy with European law, with international affairs, uh, from a legal perspective. And they already know that they might not wish to become the practicing lawyer within a national domestic system. They don't want to do the divorces. But do your or, students or the really know when, law. when yeah. they come here that they can't become a lawyer? They know that. Yeah, <laughs> okay, they know good. that because we say you, <laughs> yeah. you will be an expert in the field of international European law. If yeah. you want to practice law in your own jurisdiction, that can be the Netherlands or in other, uh, Bulgaria or in Germany uh, or in China, you have to fulfill the requirements of that jurisdiction. and. That might, might mean that you have to take one year extra in mm -hmm. your national law courses or, or sometimes if, you, if you're from Germany and you have completed our bachelor program uh, and you, even if you have the highest marks, if you want to practice in Germany, you have to start all over again. Yeah. And students know that. <laughs> uh, but most of our students will find their way in the field of international law or at least in the academic or in the practical sphere international organizations so I mean, it works law firms still take them just not as an out, outside counsel exactly suppose, right? they cannot yeah. they cannot act before a court mm. for a judge uh, but they can still uh, counsel uh, people yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, well i'm from a similar background studying what is called the european law school mm -hmm. um But in international and European law in the bachelor's program, do you only study international and European law or also some national law to have a comparative perspective? No, you get all the uh, you get a uh, not a comparative perspective. Mm -hmm. What we said, we want to have a full uh, overview of the various aspects of law. Okay. So you study uh, the, the history of law. You study 
constitutional law, administrative law, uh, criminal law, uh, private law, uh, and and international law. But but all these other topics, uh, the the first ones I mentioned, you study mainly the core concepts of that. Yeah. And in order to recognize when something is of a question of private law or whether it's of criminal law, and mm-hmm. what are the most important uh, rules and procedures in criminal law, which, for example, are shared among the most uh, civilized states or hey, European states, uh, and which are more or less, uh, more and more coming closer together, uh, surely through the European Union, but also the European Court of Human Rights. They make sure that the standards which apply in, for example, criminal law are very convergent in uh, in, in Europe. And so with the help of, of these kind of uh, core concepts of, of particular areas of law, we can give the students these understa- this understanding. So they know what law is, they know the various branches, but they have more knowledge and specified knowledge or about international and European law. Okay. But they don't know anything about Dutch law, for example. Yeah. Uh, or very limited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From the fellow Dutch students. It, so it's also not like in Maastricht. It's not comparative. We are not mm-hmm. going to compare, or this we do in France and this is how it is done in Belgium and in Germany and the Netherlands and then we compare. No, that's not the way, the the, 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 the approach we have chosen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I think it does make sense if you really go into businesses later on or in international organizations that you have that knowledge. Um, exactly. Where, where the national law might not be the most important. And if you're from or China, you for example, sorry it. for uh, if you are from China or from from Indonesia or from Bulgaria, who cares what the difference is between <laughs> or the comparison is between German, Dutch, and and English law? Yeah, uh, uh, but of course, you learn also there the 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 the, 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 the core concepts. Of yeah, yeah, you learn how to understand the exactly. law, right? Without yeah, you know what law is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> law and beautiful word. Yeah. Okay, you're also the chair of the Department of Transboundary Legal Studies. Right. Um, what exactly encompasses that department? Is it just international law, or no? We had here in the in the faculty. We this this new department only exists now for 22 days. Oh, wow. Uh, we started 1st of <laughs> January under this name. At first, we had a Department of Public International Law. It was a separate department. There was a Department of Legal Philosophy and, and Legal Theory and Political Science. There were various research and teaching groups active in this faculty, especially which were re- working in the, in, in the law in the digital age, uh, 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 ICT and law. Um, and the faculty here wanted to reduce the number of departments for organizational reasons. And I think it's very wise. And, and, and a number of people found each other under the concept of transboundary legal studies because that's a very beautiful mm-hmm. concept because, one, it looks at transboundary in a geographical sense. It yeah. looks across a border. So that is, uh, uh, for example, with international law, that's very clear that you do that. But also transboundary in the sense that we look across the various disciplines of law. I just want to say We that, don't yeah. want to <laughs> be only public law. We also have uh, legal theory. We have people who deal with ICT and law. They, they deal with privacy issues, but also with a lot of private law issues. So we want to also to transgress these uh, boundaries between the various legal uh, 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 branches or the branches in law. And the idea is that uh, by doing so, we hope that in our research, but also it should be reflected in teaching, we can show to our students that you cannot 
solve the pressing problems of today by only looking at them from one perspective. You yeah. have to take more perspectives. And not only the legal, so transboundary could also even uh, reflect here the openness towards other disciplines outside the mm. law. So we have that also reminds you um, reminds me of the position you take in the University College Groningen. Yes, that's the Liberal Arts College, uh-huh. uh, where I'm also head of uh, department of the Department of Social Sciences, and that's in, indeed uh, typically for for a liberal arts college is of course is to 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 look to problems and to teach and to educate young persons in order to be able to tackle our 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 most pro- uh, problematic issues and to do that uh, while taking into account all kind of different disciplines either from the social sciences the humanities the sciences itself uh, life sciences mm-hmm. uh, so that that and that is a different way of approaching uh, a teaching Yeah. yeah, we need good lawyers. Don't don't misunderstand <laughs> me. We need good lawyers who know everything about the law and the procedures and can help you when you have a problem. You are end up in a criminal case that mm. they can defend you very well. We need those people, but we also have people need people who help to legislate. In a sense that the new laws which we are making that they are only that they are they are not made in isolation within the Netherlands. They have to also correspond what help happens outside the Netherlands, and yeah. uh, and so you need people, for example, in legislation who have a much wider uh, 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 orientation than than someone who is practicing law in in a law court. Yeah. yeah. I mean that also sounds a tiny bit like uh, the bachelor and master programs you were talking about earlier. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we're consistent in that. I'm, I'm glad that you <laughs> recognize that. Yeah. What is your special interest within international law? What do you think? I mean, on the website, most, I found most the environmental law, yeah. for example. Most fascinating, uh, what I find about international law is that it it is an in fact an 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 a project, a project to try to do the. The 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 uh, the things which are affect the, to do the impossible. <laughs> uh, we we start with international law and let you give you a little bit for those who do not are not familiar with international law as such. International law started really from a position that we in the world or we in it in the world modern states started to come into existence mm-hmm. and we talk now about 16th 17th century new states which were what they call sovereign they did not recognize any authority above them yeah. and uh, and they thought we are the sovereign eh, like the king or the or the, the the emperor and now the state we are the highest uh, power in the world nobody has anything to say about us and if it is if there is a god which we have uh, which have to be obedient to that is our private affairs that that we have to separate that from the worldly affairs <laughs> From there, international law started to develop because states, these new states, had to engage in relations with each other. So they had so that's to make the, the law of nations. The law of nations. Yeah. They had yeah. to 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 make some rules so that they did not clash all the time. And if they clashed, how they could solve things. Yeah. And that was really in the interest of states. States were the core of, and still are to a large extent the core of international law. And international law is there to make sure that in the world we do not have all these terrible wars uh, like in the Second World War, the First World War and all the wars before and between. And so that the relations between states do not end into into fighting. And to a large extent, the world has been successful, but certainly not always. Now that was how it started, but now we are in a situation that the the, the international law is 
changing. We are in a, in, a, in, a, in a type of society which is in transition, and also international law is in transition. And because and what's the transition? That's the coming to the uh, to the to the uh, to the stage of of international affairs and international law is, for example, human rights. Yeah, is the environment, is poverty, is economic cooperation and exchange, mm-hmm. is uh, no, climate change. So the law which governs the relations between states has developed in a law or is developing in a law which relates to the relations between peoples and states. And it's not only states among each other. It is about the law is there for people. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a law for humans. The human environment has to be protected. The human rights have to be protected. Humans have to be shielded from war, not states. Yeah, it's because <laughs> the, the the people they suffer from war. But not in the, the past, state. that was mm-hmm. not important. It uh, was the uh. states who wanted to make a war, and they wanted to do it in the way they th- thought was pro- uh, proper. Uh, but nowadays, if in the war, we we it is not so much about states; it's much more about people. I mean, that, no, that, no. that's the, your question was to remind the listener. The question was, <laughs> what is what, what 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 do you find interesting in international law? All that is what I find interesting in international law. That transition where the law gets a bit a different function and that it has to develop just as national law developed in over the centuries into the legal systems we have now and and often the very very well working legal systems international law is only starting to get into this direction of becoming a new law for the 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 the, the human society at large yeah. the world society well, um, before we start jumping into the the, the, the deep, uh, s- substantive part of um, of international law, I just wanted to mention that you're also the director of studies of the International Law Association, which uh, also jumped directly into my eye. What do you do there? The International Law Association is a, is, is a an association of professional international lawyers. They can be judges. Yeah. They can be uh, lawyers in law firms. They can be people working for the government, for international organizations. There are a lot of people working in academia. But it's not the... In- uh, and they started in, in eight, 1873. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> or was it 1875? No, eight. 1878, yeah. yeah. Because in, nine, in 2023, professionals they came together and said international law is something which starts really to develop now we talk about end of the 19th century yeah, yeah. Uh, and and there's lots of things are going to change it's in fact the same as what we see now 150 years later all kind of changes take place in society these people wanted to do something with that mm-hmm. they came together and said how can we help as professionals to promote international law to help its development what kind of suggestions can we make yeah they organized themselves in small groups and these groups took on certain topics, and they advised then to to the 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 the, the, the general uh, association how international law should develop, and that will is then led through to to states and to nowadays international organizations like the United Nations, and we are still doing that now, one hundred almost one hundred fifty years later, in the same manner. Only the questions have become much more. Difficult and broader, (laughs) and there's more work. So that's now about uh, 35 groups within the ILA is 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 working on all kind of topics of private and public (laughs) international law, Uh and I'm the director of studies of that. So I have to more or less oversee a bit 
these groups and make sure that they do their work properly, that they report in time, that they come up with concrete suggestions in the time that they have been given. <laughs> Usually that's six to eight years. Oh, so well, it's, not, okay. it's not a very quick affair. But, uh, yeah, but I could imagine for international law, it also might take a little bit longer. Um, we will come to that later, yep. why it takes so long yep. To, yep. to come to conclusions. Um, but well, you, you mentioned just now international organizations, the United mm-hmm. Nations, for example. Yep. Um, and then l- let me just open the, the substantive discussion with the question whether the United Nations are indeed a legislator of the world or how can you look at this United Nations organizations? I would say the United Nations certainly is not the legislator of the world in the sense that you know that from your national, at least certainly not Western European perspective. (laughs) Uh, States are legislators. They have a legislation, a a legislative, usually the parliament together with the government. They make the laws. uh, And they have, once they have been made according to the appropriate procedures, they are law. In international law, lawmaking is done differently. It is not that if the General Assembly of the United Nations adopts something in a form of a resolution, that that becomes law. No, law is only, and that is the traditional view, law becomes only law if the states have accepted it as law, either in the form of treaties, Mm -hmm. so that you put it on paper, you sign it, you ratify it, so that's the procedures, and then you know as a state, I have signed up to this, and now it is for me it's law. Other states might not sign up to it, and they say, it's not law for me then. I'm not bound by it. So we have to imagine the General Assembly as an assembly of all the well representatives of different states yes. of the world. Um, and then they come together and talk about something they want to change, but it has not necessarily direct legal effects. Or how do you... It can have. It can. So I was mm-hmm. not completely there because you can they they can suggest to make treaties and then the states can can sign these treaties or mm-hmm. not uh, uh, you know this example of the climate change agreement in paris from not too long yeah, ago yeah. where the united states under obama signed up to it and now <laughs> trump wants to get rid of it again you can do that and then you're not bound to it anymore mm-hmm. formally but the general assembly is more than that the general assembly brings people together and in their expressions and if they all agree on certain things it could contribute to a standard of behavior that we might call or expectations for behavior that we call law. And that has to be shown that, for example, can lead to customary international law. And because that's in international law, it's a weird thing. It's a very old-fashioned thing. In national law, you write down your legislation and everybody can read it and it is published. In international law, large parts of the law, they follow from the practice of states. That's what states do And what they have an opinion that they do that because they think they are legally obliged to do to to act in that manner. That's what we call customary international law. It's in fact a very simple and and you might say primitive uh, sense of law, hey, which you also had with 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 peoples in in in, in past in in hey, let's say where they didn't have. Written, didn't write down their laws, but people exactly know how they had to behave. That were customary laws in tribes. Uh, uh, that So in international law, that is not so different. Going back to my point, the General Assembly, by taking decisions and resolutions, can have a substantial influence on how that customary international law develops. And there, oh, okay. in that sense, you might say, yes, it has legislative influence. It's not a legislator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
But how do you prove that something is customary international law? Yeah, that's, I, I always mean, uh, that, that's who has it, the best argument for that, <laughs> or who has the authority? And is it maybe also, just the assembly laying it down, and now it has more authority uh, than no, it had before? Or, no, or? no, that's not how it works because customary international law is seen as practice. So, what do states do? Mm-hmm. And intention. So that's subjective. Why do states do this? Yeah, and that yeah. is either they do that because they find it easy to do so or they do that because they think they are obliged to do so because it's law <laughs> and if there's a latter part then it's law and if it's okay. only because they think it's convenient then it's not law but how do you establish that that's the difficult thing but that that, that makes law so so fascinating mm-hmm. because in the law you give authority to certain decision making processes yeah. the easiest example is to say if a judge gives a a ruling on something, you accept that as authority because it is made under the procedures of law which the those who are subjected to that judgment have accepted. So if, and that is sometimes not so satisfying, but if the judges say that something is customary international law, then you have to accept that it is customary international law. They do so by sometimes doing very extensive uh, uh, investigations, whether what the practice is and why states behave like a, like a, in a particular manner, or it is the parties which are before the courts who make that argument, and the judges follow them. So the, the, mm-hmm. you could, you might then say the richest party can put as much more money in the investigations, so they have a likely <laughs> a better chance that they win uh-huh. the case than a very poor country who cannot do the, all these investigations. Also, academics do a lot of work in this, so yep. you can also use books from academics to verify whether something is practiced or not. And that's how in a process where ultimately there is an authoritative decision maker decides what the law is. Mm. But it's not an objective process, but you can say, I now definitely can say what customary international law is. is It's a judgment. It's an an appreciation. Okay. (laughs) Well, I mean, then lawyers have to do what uh, they do best, lawing, as uh, yeah. you've mentioned earlier. But it's not so difficult. It's not so difficult. No, it's not. If you, if you say one of the rules of customary international law is that a state may not throw bombs on another state, and all states do agree with that. They have made that expression. They have expressed that opinion very often. Mm. They do not behave like that, but if one state starts bombing another state, there will be a lot of protests against that. And oh, okay. that shows okay. that that is something which is done against the, 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 the legal rules. The rule that you shall not attack another state, unless it is in self-defense, is a very clear example of a customary law. Mm-hmm. Uh, or that you shall not torture someone. That has also become an accepted rule of customary international law. You cannot say that there will be no torture in the world, but the states together have expressed so often again that torture is something which cannot be tolerated, that that has become customary international law. So it is not that, it but sounds what I said earlier, who, do, <laughs> who does determine whether something is customary international law is not an easy process, but mm-hmm. we know for many issues that there is customary international law because that is clarified in, in, in the course of years, decades, even centuries sometimes. But but the mere fact that something hasn't happened yet mm-hmm. doesn't already amount to custom international law, customary international law. So let's mm-hmm. say all the states haven't done a certain thing yet. Mm-hmm. They haven't agreed that this thing is bad, but then yep. one state does it. 
Well, that automatically then depends it on to... the on the response of other states whether it it it, okay, whether okay. it can yeah, yeah. be seen as customary international law from that moment on. But if other states all protest against it, then it's clear that there is no opinion among states that that should be the customary law rule. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, we we, uh, we make... I can give examples of that, yeah. but that, then it becomes a court in international <laughs> law. But think about uh, space. And 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 when oh, in the nineteen space in the nineteen fifties and nineteen sixties is, is an easy example. Once two states, the Russia, uh, the, the Soviet Union, and the United States started to launch space objects, it was very clear that they should not that they there is a common understanding that they shall not use outer space for putting weapons in an orbit around the world. That yeah, has been yeah. accepted. Even only two states, in fact, were active in the in the, in the space <laughs> industry at that time. Mm. But the the understanding that they would not bring really weapon systems into the space that has been accepted, and so far it has been followed. There's of course a lot of satellites there which are used for military purposes, but, but there's not weapons, not weapons yeah. with missiles which can be fired uh, against <laughs> targets on the Earth. Uh-huh. That still has not been done. I, I think it's perfectly capable to do so. Yeah, but yeah. but but states have refrained from doing so because they understand that that is a, a, it's not in our interest, and law is often also about your own interest. And the reason why you abide law is because it is in your own interest to abide law. And therefore, the Russians, the Chinese, the Americans, and everybody now who has has a space capa- uh, capacity do not put weapons in space. Yeah. yeah. It can change if if might, yeah. if, mm-hmm. if if Trump would say or the Chinese <laughs> we now are going to put weapons in space. Who's going to stop them? Uh-huh. That is a difficult thing. Yep. But then the others will do it as well, and so your the risk that you will be hit by an opponent's missile from R- space will also increase. Well. So yeah. why should you want to run that risk? <laughs> yeah, true. Um, we, we're talking about states the whole time. We talked about the General Assembly. We talked about states. You've mentioned individuals before. Mm-hmm. Um, who are or what are subjects of international law? Is it only the states or because you've mentioned international uh, individuals, may they also be subjects or is it really truly between those states? Yeah, that's a, that's a difficult thing. In all the textbooks of international law, certainly the somewhat older book, no, almost all books do that. They talk about <laughs> subjects of international law and that comes from the time that in fact only states were subjects of international law okay. because state, the law was there for the states and made by the states and for the interests of the states. Uh, uh, that changed a little bit in, 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 in the course of the 20th century when international organizations were, uh, were established, like the United Nations or the International Labour Organization or the International Postal Union. They undertook all kinds of activities uh, in the international, in international affairs. And the question was, are they subjects of international law, do they have legal rights and duties under international law or are they only a a, 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 court, a kind of entity which is made by states and is the ultimate responsibility by the individual states who are the members of that. Mm. Now, in the 1940s, 1994, the United, uh, the United Nations uh, primary judicial organ, uh, the International Court of Justice, the mm-hmm. World Court, has decided that they, ha- they have their own rights and also duties under international law. And yeah. so that, that theoretical debate was settled. So we had states and we had international organizations subjects. But nowadays, what I say, that whole debate about subjects is so old-fashioned. <laughs> it is, it is, uh, we... Let me course, go back to states, you and tell states, my, states my, my are the, the, if you say legislators, yeah, uh, uh, states make the law. 
but the law has an implication and can only be effective if there's a much wider range of actors involved in it. That's the states, that's the international organizations, that is uh, international companies, that is individuals, uh, that is civil society at large. They all, in certain way, participate in international law. Therefore, I'm very much, which what I've learned from Judge Higgins, or former Judge Higgins of the International Court of Justice, uh, that we should not speak anymore about subjects of international law, about participants in international law. Okay. And there you have different rules. A individual, certainly in his individual or her individual capacity, does not make international law. Yeah. Of course, we influence international by selecting our own states and our governments, and these governments negotiate and these governments sign uh, international treaties, so they make international law, so you have an indirect influence on that. Uh, but the individuals certainly have rights under international law. So they don't make the law, but they have the rights under international law, and that's these what we call human rights nowadays. And yeah, they have uh, responsibilities under international law, and that's what we now call international criminal law. Okay. So the individuals <laughs> are not separate from international law. They're fully in the middle of international law. And so the old-fashioned dichotomy between you have one side you have states as subjects and the other side you have objects. They are in fact not relevant for international law like individuals. That's a, that's a distinction you cannot make anymore. And the same applies for international operating companies. Yeah, when they so they might child labor, child labor, uh -huh. if they engage in that, who's uh -huh. then responsible for that? You can, of course, all everything channel back to the states where these companies come from, that they have to address this issue and that they have to punish them for them if that's possible. Mm. But you can also say, and that's a discussion nowadays, is is it possible? Do these international com uh, companies have responsibilities under international law to do something about that? If they use child labor, if they pollute in another country deliberately, do they have themselves responsibilities or is it only channeled through the national laws? The, it, it becomes stronger and stronger that just like in international criminal law, that individuals get responsibilities for not, yeah. for example, torturing people. Also, international companies will get responsibilities for behaving uh, in a manner which respects, for example, basic in, uh, environmental laws and basic human rights. Mm -hmm. It's not that far yet. We cannot say companies have responsibilities, have duties under international law. But, but we are having it heading that way. Yeah. yeah, uh, uh. yeah. Well, we Again, we talked a lot about states, but what I found very interesting is to establish what a state actually is because we, we read about that quite often. I mean, maybe very... Um, a uh, prominent example is Palestine, um, mm -hmm. that some state, some other countries might or states might not see as a state, others do. So what are the requirements of saying, establishing that an entity is actually a state? Mm -hmm. That's, that's I think, again, one of these, the, the, the biggest puzzles of international law. <laughs> because what I said, international law is about states, and states making <laughs> the law, and at least that's how it started. But to give a good definition of a state and when something is a state is very difficult and becomes more difficult every day. The, the theory is clear. You have a state when it has to fulfill some objective criteria. There must be a territory with mm -hmm. some borders. must be clear why you talk about. There must be a population who lives there permanently. Okay. And there must be a government who has some kind of, at least full, or but authority over that territory and over these people. Yeah. So that's the three objective criteria. 
then it becomes already a bit more subjective if you say this entity, the state, must have the capacity to enter into real international relations. Uh -huh. So it must be able to to act independently as a state, and if it engages in international commitments, it must be able to uh, to to comply with these commitments. So that makes it. When is that? Mm. You don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but wouldn't that also require the other states to to accept that state and then cooperate? That's the next. I mean, that, no, this it, is only the objective criteria with <laughs> one, which is already a bit more subjective. Yeah, yeah. And the next question is: If you then have an entity which you might say that is a state, can it then perform in the legal context? And oh, okay. there we come okay. to the question of recognition. Uh -huh. There, it is the question: Can a state only? be a state if other states have recognized it or is it sufficient that you fulfill these objective criteria and that recognition is only a political fact we most writers and most uh, authorities in international law tended towards the last situation that a state is there when it fulfills the requirements. But nowadays, that, that is very difficult to maintain. And the other option is that all states have to recognize something, some, some other state, before it can be a state. Yeah, yeah. And if you think about a new state which is formed, and there is one or two states, who are, think about Kosovo. Kosovo has also become independent mm -hmm. from Serbia. Serbia itself became an, an, an independent aspect of the former socialist uh, republic of, of Yugoslavia. But Kosovo has become independent, has declared itself independent, performs tasks independently. But there are quite a few states who say, well, but we don't recognize Kosovo as an independent state. We think it should still belong to Serbia. Others say, no, it has fulfilled now all the criteria. It's an independent state. So we don't know the answer. It's the question, in fact. I, I think here international theory stems from the 19th century, mm -hmm. a, a large part of the 20th century. We have to develop a new theory here. And I think the only viable one is that the state is a state as soon as it's recognized by the United Nations in the majority decision. So that would leave... Uh Well, actually, no, I'm not sure. Palestine. I mean, they are a visiting member. Palestine. Palestine right? is is recognized as a state, as a as a, as as a non-member state. So okay. it is a state, but it's not a member because it cannot become a member because there the Security Council has to <laughs> vote in favor of that, or at least uh, has to have a resolution that they accept them. Mm. And the United States and some other states would vote against uh, inviting Palestine to become a a, state, a member of the United Nations because. The Americans, for political reasons, do not want to recognize Palestine, as, yeah. by the way, the, the Netherlands government does. So we are not so different from the Americans <laughs> here. Uh, but but that's, so, so it's a political reason why Palestine is not considered a state by some. But it, in practice, Palestine is party to many international treaties, to the most important human rights treaties. Mm -hmm. It is accepted as a party to these treaties by the Secretary General of the United Nations. He has to make sure that he, he uh, registers all these kind of things. Uh, uh, the the, the Palest Palestine is uh, a member to, of the International Criminal Court. So it can perform as a state. It performs as a state. Of course, it's very severely limited in its performance of its capacity because it is still occupied by Israel. Yeah, But the state well, can exist when it is occupied. 
Because if, 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 if a state which would be occupied by another state would cease to exist or cannot exist, then that would be putting a premium yeah. on occupation because then a state is, is gone. <laughs> so the, can, the requirements have to be fulfilled once. Yeah. And then yeah. when you became a state, you are one yeah. forever. I mean, unless there's yeah. another territorial dispute, I guess. And then, exactly. And, and, and for, for, for Palestine, it was the other way around. It never existed, at least not in the modern history, yeah. as a, a separate state. But it was by the League of Nations and the United Nations was seen as a non-self-governing territory, now occupied by Israel. The people of, of, of Palestine as a people have the right to self-determination to form their own state. Nobody denies that. And only fact between having their own state and, uh, and, and, uh, and, 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 and not being a state is the fact that Palestine is occupied by Israel. So by, by saying we cannot recognize Palestine as a state as long as Israel is occupying it, is in fact giving a premium to Israel, saying stay there because then it cannot be a state. <laughs> While yeah, yeah. a large part of Palestine has organized itself in such a manner that it is very closely, it's very similar to, to what a normal state does. Yeah, of course, yeah. Palestine is not a normal state due to the special circumstances. Uh, but but it can function as a, as a normal state if if Israel would leave. Now that you've mentioned the Security Council, mm -hmm. what is that? I mean, we 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 know that there's a general assembly. The Security Council is the world government. Security Council is the world government. No, no, I'm provocative, <laughs> of course. That's but always the, good. The, yeah. the Security Council is one of the few organs which has really supranational powers. The Security Council has been given by all the members of the United Nations, and that's all the states in the world, at least who can become a member of that, uh, they have said, if you are become a member of the United Nations, then you accept, through Article 24, 25 of the Charter, you accept the duty to carry out the decisions that the Security Council takes. Now, the Security Council is a group of 15 states mm -hmm. which are chosen every so many years. Now, the, the Netherlands are for one year, for example, a member of the Council. Um, the Security Council has uh, only a limited mandate, and that is to maintain international peace and security. So it has nothing to say about environmental measures, measures matters, or about economic matters. Only if it uh, if it relates to peace and security. So in the field of peace and security, the members of the United Nations, the states, have said when these fifteen states who represent us take a decision in the field of peace and security, for example, to give authority, authorization, sorry, authorization to a state to use force against another state who has mm -hmm. breached international peace and security, then they can do so. That state can do so, can use that force. I mean, you've uh, mentioned 15 members, but I yeah. think the controversial part there is that there are permanent members that cannot change, right? Indeed, there are 15 members and there's of these 15, there's five who can never change. And that's, uh, of course, the, the, the Russians, the America, uh, China, France, and, and Great Britain, mm -hmm. which uh, are still Great Britain. I would say Scotland <laughs> and they might, might, might fall off. It was somewhat smaller Britain. But, uh, but at least the, these five are permanent members and they have a permanent seat and they have a veto power. So if they vote against something, it cannot be adopted. And so the trick is you always have to find Consent, either the, yeah. the consensus among yeah. these five, at least they should not vote against something. And that's yeah. something very problematic. And that makes it a, what I said, it's a supranational authority. 
but with some limitations. But if they take decisions, it has supranational powers. Mm-hmm. And the problem is to get to these decisions. And in some instances, it, it works. But in many instances, certainly when one of these permanent uh, members is involved in a conflict, it does not work as it should work. And there, there, there's lots of improvements have to be made. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've mentioned the League of Nations earlier, so mm-hmm. the the organization that existed before the United Nations, or they basically transitioned yep. into the United Nations. Um, and I could imagine that the Security Council came into force after the Second World War. Has been yes, no, in, in, so the, the, with, with, with the United forces Nations are yeah. the ones that. Uh, yeah. Um, well, mainly responsible for uh, for maybe ending that war, right? So, um, ha- ha- had this been a big influence on uh, the creation of that instrument? Sorry, I, I did miss. It. I well, the, these five it. permanent members yep. had a played a bigger part in the war in the Second yeah. World War. Yeah. So that has that's been why they claim war. now this position, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's, that's, they, that's they rescued yeah. the world, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. And uh, and there's a lot of debate about that, and also whether it's not much better to replace, the, let's say, France and, and, and Great Britain with the European Union <laughs> and have an, an African country represented or mm. South South American country. Brazil, very big country, large economy, why sh- or Japan, why shouldn't they be uh, on on the on uh, with a permanent seat in the in the council? So there's a lot of debate on that. Yeah. Uh, you can only change these rules when these five would agree to it. And that's, that, that you are a bit caught in a situation that <laughs> you must have very good arguments to, 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 to change that. Yeah. Or, and, and that's the, the, the pessimistic view, that it can only be changed if there's another type of, of, of disaster like a Second World War, mm-hmm. where, where there's such an immense clash that everybody realizes this cannot continue be continued after this clash if there is something after that yeah. uh, and we have to find something new but that is a very pessimistic view on how change can be made uh, so let's let's continue to strive for trying to <laughs> find a peaceful uh, change yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, let's talk a little, little bit more about the laws that they can enact themselves the mm-hmm. states so mm-hmm. we've mentioned treaties before yep we've mentioned customary yep. international law that it's just being created somehow automatically mm-hmm. Um, but are there also other ways? Of, of re- I've seen that you've written an article on, on soft law, for example, that we've mentioned briefly in the first episode, but maybe it would be yeah. a nice idea to just uh, outline that again. Yeah. The, the, the problem with international law at this moment is that we have these two formal sources of law, and then we have something which we call the principles of law, but that's a bit an undefined characteristic. Okay. Nobody knows exactly <laughs> what these principles are, simply. But it's definitely not customary but international. That's not that. That overlaps sometimes, overlaps, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, but it has not a very def- definite uh, content. Let's let me use one, which is a, some people will deny that it is a principle of international law. If I say sustainable development, okay, you can say that's a principle of international law. That yeah. all participants in the international legal order have to strive to sustainability. That development is a combination of economic progress, environmental protection, and social uh, protection, human rights protection. We all strive for that. And if you do things which are contrary to that, to that, you 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 neglect, for example, the the environment or or human rights. You have to explain yourself, and you might be outside the context, uh, or you might be violating basic principles of international law. The problem is that to make new laws 
like, for example, in the field of climate change or with human rights or with protecting the fish in the ocean. Yeah. States are more and more reluctant to accept treaties, so binding international laws. It's more difficult to negotiate these treaties nowadays mm-hmm. than in the past. Why? One reason is there are more states. Second reason is the issues have become far more complex. We know much more, and therefore we also know much better what the consequences of certain regulation might be for us. (laughs) In the past, we could make Uh rules, and they were sometimes quite simple rules, and they were the interpretation there was adapted to what, in in, in light of the, uh, the, uh, the needs of the day. But nowadays, when you make a new treaty on the environment, you know it has lots of economic impacts. And politicians find it very difficult to accept certain new rules of international law in the form of treaties where they do not necessarily know whether the balance of the implementation of these new rules will be in their uh, in, in, in uh, favorable to them yeah, yeah whether whether yeah, they okay. d- whether there will not be others who gain more than they do or whether it is un- so they're very afraid of making hard decisions so they take a lot of decisions in a much softer sense. They express their willingness to do something. They express an intention to do something, but do not wish to lay it down in clearly binding rules. Okay. So the resolutions of the General Assembly, as an example, they do not lay down rules, but they lay down what states still, it's an expression of opinions of the states, mm-hmm. what they want to do. There are many conferences where they say what they want to do. States have expressed at the highest level, all the presidents and, 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 and prime ministers were there in 2015 when the sustainable development goals were adopted. That's 17 goals with 169 very concrete targets where all these states have said, this is what we're going to achieve. But, but they didn't they d- put them in a, in a treaty. <laughs> because they d- then they would have to... Then they would be bound to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. But Smart. still, these kind of... And why is it, so this is not directly binding law. Why do we call sometimes this soft law? Because this, these expressions have a clear influence how we use, how we apply the existing rules of law, of international law, at the national level and at the international level. For example, national courts use these expressions of intent, of intentions eh, that states have given with eh, consensus to interpret, for example, a current hard rule on on environmental protection. Mm -hmm. eh, Because these these rules on environmental protections are also not always very clear. So they need interpretation in view of the current situation or the particular problem at hand and there they use these expressions which are not typically hard law expressions but they are used and therefore the expression soft law is used they are authoritative in implementing law in the international society okay so then the the course of the member states themselves might play a role in transforming that law into actual applicable law within mm-hmm. the member states or within the states yeah. themselves. Yeah. Okay. To make sure that, that, that states do what they have promised to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's, and that's what we call law. 
<laughs> law is something. What what is law? Some people say law is only what you have written down in the books, but it's also a way of saying what you have promised to do, you have to keep to. That's also yeah, yeah. a way of of law. So there there is there's there is some some room for giving a bit more expansive interpretation to what you exactly understand by law. I mean, we've already seen. Um and just know that there is a relationship between the international and the national level, mm -hmm. for example, through soft law. But what is the the relationship actually between those states and the international law? So is it is it an overlaying binding law that you have on top of the whole hierarchy? Mm -hmm. um, for example, here in the European Union, where we would have European Union law, then it goes down to national law, then municipality, etc. And international law is just the overlying principle of everything or mm, for something it is but not for everything no certainly mm -hmm. not it's not that you say there's a there's a full hierarchy that's the same as with in the european union you might have heard about the, the term subsidiarity yeah and some things do you do at the national level other things you do at the european union level mm -hmm. <laughs> it depends where at least in theory where you can take the best decisions or what is the best way to do it um And that is uh, uh, also at the international level. Some things we wish to have common standards like human rights protection. We want to have a common worldwide applicable standards that people have the freedom of speech or that people will not be tortured. We know that there are some governments against that. They don't want to give people the, the right to uh, freedom of speech. They want restrictions on that. And sometimes restrictions are good when it is incitement to racial hatred, for example. Mm -hmm. But in principle, that is we want to have or we want to have, the world has clearly expressed that there is a common standard in the form of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, uh, the, the, the basic human rights conventions. That is the worldwide standard. And with these standards, you can work towards progressive implementation of these standards. We know it's not everywhere in the world it's 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 paradise we have to improve lots of things but without these standards you cannot work towards these uh, these things but if you think about completely other uh, issues economic issues or or regulatory issues it might be much better to organize that at the national level eh? how yeah what 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 can we say how you should uh, organize your democratic elections mm. or your your eh? that why would that necessarily have to be the same everywhere as long as it is re re reflecting the ideas of that people have the right to give an opinion on who should be in the government and in the parliament and or at least in the democratic institutions and so uh, there doesn't have to be uh, a, a similar standard everywhere but how can i as an individual achieve that my rights that I have under international law are actually granted to me. So let's say I go no. to the national courts, they, they don't really care much, they, they, they don't see that much. Could, 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 could we go to the ICJ, the Intercourt of Justice, no. or the ICC for no. the jurisdiction? Or No, as individual, you cannot go to the International Court of Justice. That's, mm -hmm. that's a court which is only open for, for states. Sometimes human rights issues come before that court, but that it is through a state bringing that to the court. Uh, but but there is in human rights law, for example, there's and, and let, let's take start with the European Convention on Human Rights. That's yep. a convention uh, uh, applicable in the whole Council of Europe context. That's almost 50 states who are party to that. Uh, so the whole European context. That convention 
can be invoked by all citizens and all people present on a European in a, co- a European country mm-hmm. who thinks that his or her rights have been violated and has not and which has not been uh, properly administered by the judges in that country can go to the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg and to to have the case heard. Now, we know of some states who are not too happy with it, but they are part of it. How do we think about Russia at this moment? Mm-hmm. The current Russian government and also a large part of the parliament, they are quite quite, quite hostile against Strasbourg, saying what type of human rights law has to be applied by their courts. But still, they're bound to it. And if they do not follow that, they're violating that law. Now, Russia and Putin are strong enough to resist that for some time. (laughs) uh, And they will do that. Uh, But that does not mean that they are not violating the law as it is. And it is still a a means for the citizens to try to find redress. But who's there to enforce that? And and in many countries, I'm now giving the bad example, uh, Russia, uh, uh. where it is for individual citizens very difficult to get redress. But in most of the other countries in Europe, it does work. Yeah, okay. It does work. And if you are from the Netherlands, and the Netherlands get a slap on the fingers from the European Court of Human Rights, the Netherlands will do what they say. (laughs) The English do the same. They're also sometimes critical, but they do what the court says. And that's for largest part of the European countries do what the court says. Yeah. And of right. course there are problems there. But that's in all societies and all every jurisdiction where law applies, there's always some people who think they are above the law or they can per, uh, the permit to operate outside or with only a, a partial uh, uh, respect for the law that they can get away with that. And sometimes they can for quite some time. Uh, but at the at the end, I'm quite convinced that that is not a, a way that is, uh, uh, you could say, sustainable, uh, <laughs> because they will be they will be they'll fight the consequences at c- certain moments. But mm-hmm. how that will how and when and and uh, that that is difficult to predict. But uh, uh, so human rights law, the citizen has for many people it has already brought a lot of things, but not for all. And um, you don't have to be naive uh, to say international law is perfect and and and, and we are uh, the world is in a paradise because we have international <laughs> law. No, absolutely not. But it works much much has been achieved in many many respects. Yeah. But uh, let us talk about the two international courts. The yep. truly, uh, I mean, the yep. UN courts, maybe the the ICJ and the ICC. ICC is not an uh, the International Criminal Court is not a UN court. It's not one. No, okay. no, that's that's a court which is established by states, and that's that's now quite a big. Group of states, what is now 130 states or so? Okay, they have signed the statutes, but it's an independent organization. And that the, works the, well. The next International to the, Court of Justice is a, a court which is established and is a primary organ of the United Nations. So that was established in 1945, and it already existed, in fact, a predecessor in the in the context of the League of the Nations. Okay. Yep. But then uh, what you can read from the news, at least, that the United States, for example, over years drop out of, well, that they don't uh, accept the jurisdiction of these mm-hmm. courts anymore, or they never did in the first place for the ICC, I believe. No, no, for the, for the ICC, they never they did. Never for did the ICJ, for, they have. They uh, did, but, but now they've withdrawn it uh, several yep, years ago. Yep. Um, so, if, so can I just imagine then two sta- one state sues the other and then the... 
one state just drops out and says, nah, no, no, no jurisdiction anymore. No, that, that cannot be done. No, 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 no. That but, can, of course, a state can say, because that's the old state sovereignty oriented system. And the courts, the International Court of Justice is typically uh, an, uh, an example of that. It only has jurisdiction when a state has accepted that jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. But if you have accepted the jurisdiction, you can do that in several manners. Yeah. Uh, general, you can do that in a particular treaty, you can do that afterwards, that if you ha- are in a conflict, you can together say with the other party, say, oh, let's go to the International Court of Justice, and if the other agrees, then, you, then the court has ju- uh, jurisdiction. Once you, a, a case has arrived at the International Court of Justice, and you have still have given that jurisdiction, you cannot withdraw at that moment. You can maybe for, for, for a future case, no, okay. you can do mm-hmm. that. And and yeah, that's part of the system. Uh, but you cannot, for example, in the European Court of Human Rights, there you cannot do that. Now, if you're a party to the European Convention on Human Rights, you automatically have accepted the role of the European Court of Human Rights. Okay. The only thing, if you then do not wish to have that court play that role, you have to withdraw for the whole convention of human rights, which will not help you very much if you're, for example, in the European Union state, because the <laughs> European Union has its own human rights catalog and, and courts. Uh, but, but for others, it could be. But that is withdrawing from such an important human rights convention has also a lot of implications for the state wishing to do so. Political, external, internal, uh, so and and the question it, 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 I I do not see Russia easily withdraw from the European Convention on Human Rights. I mean, it even really, within it Brexit, really says, there was I do an idea. not want yeah. to respect yeah, human yeah, rights, yeah, yeah. and therewith the opponents of Putin will have a strong weapon in in their hands to say, see, Putin is not even wishing to to abide by the most <laughs> basic rules of human rights. Uh-huh. So let's oppose him a bit more. Yeah. Well, the the ICJ is a rather old um, instrument for yeah, uh, almost one hundred years old. Yeah, yeah. But com- compared to the the ICC, um, mm-hmm. that's that's really the old one, and the ICC is fairly new. That's the new one. To started in two thousand around that. Uh-huh. And we just recently had a very famous uh, verdict from the ICC. Um, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, no, in, in Den Haag with the uh, oh, Yugoslavia. I think that was the International Court for the former Yugoslavia. The Yugoslavia oh, that's tribunal. another tribunal. There you that's go. That's another okay. tribunal. Then, yeah, that's, that's, that's so many more tribunals. So there's way think. more. Yeah, 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 yeah. So well, why has this been dealt with in a, in a different tribunal? Because it happened yeah. too early. Could it maybe now be dealt with under that ICC? Yes. Okay, it but back in the day, have, it hasn't existed. It could have, but it probably wouldn't have. It could be dealt with, and then we come back to the Security Council, <laughs> because the the what, we we have to go back to the 1990s. We didn't yeah. have an international criminal court uh-huh. or anything which was similar to that. We only had after the Second World War. We had the criminal tribunals of Nuremberg and of Tokyo to try the war crimes mm-hmm. uh, committed in and by Germans and in and by. Japan and uh, Japan. In the 1990s, we had the war in Yugoslavia erupting. Uh, various parts of, of the former socialist uh, republic wanted to break apart. A lot of fighting started there. Terrible fighting, lots of uh, uh, human rights violations, humanitarian law violations. The Security Council... You can imagine that. Russia in the early 1990s was a weak power. Uh, The Security Council wanted to do something, but it could not get agreement on 
really using force in order to stop the fighting there. So they want to first try with other means uh, to, to do something about to stop the fighting and stop the war. And the, the way they did that, where they first found consensus on, and including then the Russians mm -hmm. and the Chinese, was that they would establish a war crimes tribunal, the former crime, uh, tri uh, the tribunal for the, form, uh, the crimes in the former Yugoslavia, ICTY. They established that tribunal with the idea that if people know that they will be tried after the war, they will commit less atrocities now. Whether that worked out <laughs> is something okay. different, okay. but that was the basis why an international court was accepted. The Security Council needed something. They wanted to do something. Just and pressure them politically, maybe. They, mm -hmm. Yeah, and they, mm -hmm. they, they wanted to show we can do something. There was still an optimistic spirit in the 90, early 1990s. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the Berlin Wall had fallen. The Iron Curtain was gone. So now we have to show that we can do something. And this was what they found. Later on, they even accepted the Security Council to use force to end the war. But that is a different story. But that is the basis of the new revival of international criminal law. And so, with the, and then in 1994, we had the, the, the genocide in Rwanda. Yeah. And there, the Security Council, you can blame it for not intervening earlier to prevent the genocide. That, that is even, that is terrible that they didn't do anything. But once the genocide had been committed, the Security Council decided we also have to have a, uh, a court to try the people who have committed these crimes in Rwanda. So we had also a, a, a international criminal tribunal for Rwanda. Two criminal tribunals, mm -hmm. new, and they worked quite well. They undertook their investigations. It all takes a very long time. But uh, and from that, that a new uh, interest arose. Can't we make a permanent court okay. outside of the context of the Security Council? Otherwise, we have every time that there is something happens, the Security Council has to decide. We, we establish a new court. And of course, <laughs> that's not very efficient. And expensive probably. It's expensive. <laughs> so let's make a new court separate. Yeah. But there was not enough support to do that from within the United Nations. So it was something which developed outside the United Nations by a group of like-minded states and mm -hmm. that grew and grew and even included the United States. Only at the last moment they pulled out and didn't sign it. Uh, yeah, but uh, Or it was even signed, but that was undone uh, at a certain moment. Uh, so that's the, the history of the International Criminal Court. So in a couple of years, a group of very high, uh, very, very well-experienced people, they, they, they wrote the statute. It was accepted by a large group of states. And now it is operating. And now we see the problems again because it's not an easy thing to start something new in this international <laughs> society to start a new uh, a new, new type of court. Because what was happening, lots of atrocities took place in Africa. Mm -hmm. And as a consequence of that, many African leaders became indicted before the International Criminal Court. And so these heads of the states of Africa suddenly... So, okay, we have supported this court, but now they are, it's turning against us. <laughs> and, and so the support for that court is a bit waning in, 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 in African countries. Yeah. Because they, the people in power think about the Mugabe's and the Al-Bashir in, South, uh, South, uh, in Sudan and, and Mugabe in, 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 uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Zimbabwe, people who were in power for a long time and do not have really clean hands. They saw it coming that 
they might also be indicted and al-Bashir of Sudan has been indicted. So the, now now there's quite a bit of opposition against the ICC from a number of countries because the ruling elites fear that they might be prosecuted. Can the ICC has well do own investigations and start proceedings mm -hmm. or does someone have to actually sue in front of the court? Uh, uh, no, the 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 the, the court has its, its own uh, possibility. The Security okay. Council can okay. ask the court to uh -huh. do uh, make these investigations. Other states can make uh, ask to such investigations, but the International Criminal Court has only jurisdiction if the states against which the investigation is undertaken or the prosecution of the person who is from that state is a party to the. ICC or the uh, the 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 the, uh, the crimes have taken place on the territory of a party of 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 the ICC and to to explain that mm -hmm. if uh, Israeli uh, Palestine is now a party to the ICC if Israeli an officer or soldier or would undertake now international crimes for example, uh, uh, bombing civilians, that would be a crime which could be punished by the International Criminal Court, even though Israel is not a party to the to mm -hmm. the to the to the ICC, uh, because it happens on Palestine territory. It is in theory it could be uh, prosecuted. But that would probably be a trial in absence because <laughs> the that would be a, won't a be sent from uh, Israel. There cannot be a trial in absence. So oh, first you have to get your can. hold on the, on, the, on the people. Yeah, yeah. And so secondly, a way for states to get away with it is that if they try such a person themselves. Ah, states, it's okay. also a kind of subsidiarity. Because you can't... We call that complementarity there, but yeah, it, you uh, could call, also call it subsidiarity, is that if a state whose citizen is being tried for a war crime, if that state itself would un undertaking that prosecution, then uh, the ICC doesn't have to do it. But okay. it must be a serious prosecution. It must be a, 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 a fake, uh, fake trial. Fake, fake trial. That's something new. Fake trials. We have fake news. We have no fake, fake trials. No, we don't want that. Yeah. 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 Let us just quickly talk about the use of force. You've mentioned that already. Okay. Yeah. Um, And what some call humanitarian intervention, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's the same, whether there are differences or... Um, so oh. I guess the, there's a prohibition of the use of force, if I remember correctly, but in you, but there is an exception for humanitarian interventions, or how does the whole system Not really, work? not really, there's not an exception. Not really. There is a prohibition on use of force mm -hmm. between states, only if there's self-defense, and there are some rules on when that applies, then it is, that's allowed to use force. And then there's a second exception to the prohibition on the use of force, and that is if the Security Council permits the use of force. Okay. And if the Security Council sees that in a particular country there is a need for humanitarian intervention, the Security Council could give that permission. Mm -hmm. Let's think about Haiti as an example. Mm -hmm. There was in Haiti there was a, a new president elected, but he didn't get the chance to to take his seat. Uh, the, the war uh, 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 or a civil war uh, uh, seemed to erupt. People were fly, fleeing the country. Uh, rubber boats were going to the United States. There, the Security Council said, "We uh, allow the United States to intervene, or we allow 
States to intervene under the 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 the, the, the uh, supervision of the United States, but could also be have been another uh, uh, country uh, to intervene there and to make sure that the uh, elected president can take his seat and that law and order is established. So the Security Council can allow uh, uh, states to use force to for also for humanitarian purpose. Okay. That is stretching a bit the text of the <laughs> charter because the charter has talks about international peace <coughs> and security. And is this <laughs> when something happens internally, is that then international peace and security? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah that's that's, that's a, a question. Uh but well, I guess so, the argumentation will then always be okay this breeding ground for terrorists and uh, nowadays it would it yeah would yeah but it was right, was yeah. it in the 1980s that no, was the no, 1990s <laughs> that was not yet really uh, such a, such a big topic yeah. nowadays it would be a bit more but um um humanitarian intervention by one state against another state so there's one state where there is a humanitarian situation think about burma yeah and you had the rohingya or Myanmar, I must say, and another state, the Netherlands, or a neighboring state, would say, this is intolerable because of the human suffering by the Rohingya. We now send in our troops in order to rescue these people. That would be humanitarian intervention. Uh, that is still, that's not allowed unless the Security Council gives pr permission for that. Something different that a state might send in troops anyhow and, and risk that it will be uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's violating international law and it might face repercussions for that. But if it says there is morality requires me to do so, then that's a decision of that state. And if they have if the power, they can do so. But legally, it's not allowed. Okay. And then it would came down to someone to actually bring them oh, to court. Right. Yeah, that might be possible. And yeah. we had that situation in Kosovo, for example, mm -hmm. where it almost uh, it was brought to court, but the court had to dismiss it because it was some something problems with jurisdiction. But uh, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm be, being a little bit younger. I, I always think more about the like Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, yep. Syria, yep. Libya, the more recent uh, examples. Yep. Um, no, yeah, the 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 uh, if you think about and and. What is interesting about the, the Afghan situa situation, uh, and, and that is the core of the problem today, is that we are not talking about states fighting each other. <laughs> the yeah, main yeah, okay. problem is that most of the conflicts <laughs> yeah. we find in the world today have to do with particular groups, which we can call non-state actors. Uh, they are not states. They are armed. They are strong. They sometimes even occupy territory. But they are not states. And what rules apply to these actors? And when can you fight them? And under what conditions? Uh, their international law has not really found answers. Every day we learn a bit more by doing. And in by doing, we develop international law. Mm -hmm. But that is the real puzzle with the fact that... that, that and that is also underlines, in fact, my my point where I started with a bit, that we are not talking about the law between states anymore, but we talk about international law for a human society in which all kind of actors, think about IS. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what kind of entity is that? Who's going to fight it? <laughs> yeah. It is on the territory of Iraq. It's on the territory of Syria. Would that mean that you, or what Turkey is doing today, they send in troops 
oh, to yes, find what yeah, they yeah, define yeah. as terrorists, the Kurdish, particularly Kurdish groups. Mm. They say they are terrorists, so we are now allowed to send in troops into Syria to fight them because they are a threat to us. Normally, you would say they are now invading a foreign country. So Syria is completely it, right to 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 now to use self defense against uh, uh, Turkey, yeah, but. Uh-huh. Syria doesn't have the capacity at this moment. Yeah, I would definitely say. not. <laughs> but it is, yeah, in fact, a, a conflict between the Kurdish people and, yeah. and Turkey. But Syria is a country which they are invading. And so these things do not match completely mm-hmm. anymore. And, and how we can solve that, that's something. <laughs> We'll see. That's for the new. You are saying you're a young generation of yeah. hey, you. You have the new examples. That is is really the challenge. That that that. Where do we find the opening to come up with more efficient mechanisms? Not only legal mechanisms, also political and military mechanisms to to intervene here. You see, in the in the in the in the Cold War period, in the in the in the sixties, seventies, eighties of the of the previous century, the United Nations came up. With the peacekeeping, and the United Nations sent troops to states to oh, the blue helmets. The blue helmets. helmets. Right. That mm-hmm. was a a very pragmatic solution to a situation <laughs> when when the Security Council could not come to agreement about a particular conflict. Uh-uh. It, the blue helmets have done a lot of good. But that works with consensus. Uh, that imagine, works. No, yeah, that's a decision of the Security Council. So mm-hmm. as long as 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 as, as, as uh, uh, there's no vote from a permanent member against it, and there is. Yeah, but does the state where the blue helmets? They have to agree with it. They have yeah, to, they exactly. have to agree with it. Yeah. So it's a complicated mm-hmm. thing, but it's yeah. at least something to yeah. find a solution for a situation. So the only thing I want to say, finding pragmatic solutions is possible, yeah, because. Peacekeeping forces, the Blue Helmets, are not uh, uh, based on provisions in the Charter of the United Nations. Mm-hmm. That doesn't say anything. But still, they are there. They <laughs> still work. Uh, sometimes good, uh, depending on how much budget there is. Uh, it's also for states to give them the budgets they need. And that's mm-hmm. sometimes also problematic. Uh, but that's the same now for finding solutions. How do we deal with all these non-state armed groups yeah, which uh, fight these wars? And how do we... Yeah, I I, I, I don't have the answer for it. Uh, mm-hmm. no, nobody has the answer because we have to develop that together. Uh, but couldn't you say that the state doesn't provide enough to stop these groups? So. Yeah, but the well, state, no, what's the state? state? Assad, so, Assad yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. have it's control over that yeah, part yeah. of the territory anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And, and that also has all kind of political reasons. If you think about the terrible war in Yemen now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it is, I heard it this morning in the radio described as being a civil war. Yes, it started as a civil war, but it's now Saudi Arabia constantly bombing uh, yeah. Yemen in order to help a particular uh, faction in, in, in Yemen. Uh, but it, it seems as it, it is it's a war against Iran rather than to, against uh, uh, <laughs> Yemen. Uh, but it is fought in Yemeniti territory. Uh-huh. Uh, it's difficult to, uh, to, 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 if you want to believe in international law as a, as a viable legal system, this is really challenging you. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is something, uh, this, these are the difficult cases. Luckily, in international law, we find also a lot of things where things work. Work, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Easily. Must and I- one of the things is where, where we also, and we don't think about that so much, we don't think about the digital age, internet, 
Inter international crime, freedom of speech on the internet. Mm -hmm. What is the responsibilities of the the servers of the Googles of the of the of the Apples of the world? Yeah, and yeah. other uh, key, uh, key players here. That that's a completely different part of the story. Uh, but there's also international law which which has to be <laughs> developed there. Yeah, and, yeah. and and because you cannot do you cannot work on the basis as if in the digital age we can exercise jurisdiction as if everything is territorial because so many things happen outside your ter ter territory but they influence exactly what happens on your crime is committed on your territory but it is done from a server somewhere uh, far away uh -huh. and you never can find where how yeah. do we respond to it <laughs> legally yeah. why are the true true the yeah. cyber attacks from maybe even a whole country against another yeah on the yeah. national security systems yeah. right yeah. 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 Marcel are we missing anything important that you definitely want to put out there I don't think so. I think we have talked for <laughs> long enough, and, yeah. uh, and 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 we can go on. The more we go into detail, uh, maybe another so time. Much with that, that we need another uh, three hours. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but 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 this is what is fascinating in international law. It's it's not a necessarily a nice story to tell, but there is there is a lot of things which is developing, and which needs a lot of committed young people who still have some belief that. They can make a difference in, in uh, through law in in uh, on international affairs on the the the, the lives of people uh, and whether it's through human through human rights through things related to peace and security or through, for example, also the economic aspects, economic cooperation and 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 things which have to do with a with a, with a equal share in the global wealth. Which is linked very simply a topic which we didn't discuss: uh, mm. migration. Oh, <laughs> we, we could, could easily talk about an half yeah, hour, yeah, half yeah, an hour yeah, about migration and what to do <clears throat> in that context. Yeah, but that's all; it's all connected to each other, and we need a good working system of international law. Which, to my, I'm, af I'm afraid to say, we don't have a, a very good international law system. We have an international law system. We cannot say it's mm. very good. No. Imagine yourself standing in front of a group of, I don't know, two, three hundred uh, high school graduates here mm -hmm. at the Bachelor's Open Day, yeah. and you have to make sure that they don't want to go into the national criminal law, um, but you want to convince them that international law is the area to go to. What would you briefly tell them? How would you try to convince them to... Oh, I would say if you want to test your intellectual capabilities and... and, and <laughs> don't go to contract. Go to you want really law. to think about how law is being shaped while you're working on it, then choose international law. If you're more the practical guy who wants to apply existing rules, don't think too much about the rules themselves. Just you find it interesting to see how they fit into a particular case of a murder where you found this murder weapon and that kind of uh -huh. uh, uh, traces of blood and whatever. If you like that more... Then choose that, but, yeah. but 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 international law is really choosing for a puzzle, <laughs> a puzzle in the sense of uh, an intellectual puzzle. What are the rules? How can we argue that there are actually that there are rules, and 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 how they how 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 should these rules be changed in order to to uh, to to give an answer to the challenges of today? That would be my uh, advice, Marcel. Thank uh, you yeah. very much. You're welcome. <laughs>